Well, good afternoon, church. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Robin. I have the joy of, uh, with my wife, Laura, of leading our church. And uh, I'm very excited to continue our conversation about gospel leadership. But first off, I just want to celebrate <clears throat> the very many creative initiatives that launched today. Uh, new website, new Living Scent. Uh, Missionary Academy, really excited about that. We're going to talk more about that at Town Hall. Uh, some upgrades on our production setup. We have new modules coming out for Simple Church Apprentices, uh, and the list goes on. And so just so thankful for everyone in our church and uh, for our various teams that have been working really hard to equip and resource uh, disciples to be disciple makers in uh, our church family. So if you've been a part of working hard on those things, thank you so much. And if you're on the front lines making disciples in the context of Simple Church, thank you as well. It's one big family working together. Okay, so uh, let's just take a minute and pray, and then we're going to get into uh, part two of gospel leadership. Jesus, we thank you for your word and just that it speaks um, in depth and in breadth, uh, but at the end of the day, it really just points us to love you and know you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we talk about leadership, that we would really remember this is all about you. We'd look to you, Jesus, the head from which everything flows. Amen. So we've been talking about gospel leadership, and uh, that started last week with really what was, I think it amounted to mostly a a kind of a long and extended argument for the idea that uh, church is not an organization, but a family. And as a result, leadership in the context of the church needs to be structured after this idea and not like a family. Now, that really simple statement that gospel leadership is about church as family is super simple to say, but it betrays the depths of beauty and the joy that are within it. And Uh, You see, the gospel revolutionizes our understanding of leadership. It completely flips it upside down. And the reason that is is because the gospel locates leadership within the story, the eternal story of God working to reconcile people to himself. No other leadership system or structure can make that claim. But gospel leadership is all about leadership that finds itself as a part of a bigger eternal story of God's reconciliation with humanity. And this is why, at a, at a really fundamental theological layer, the distinction between gospel leadership and organizational leadership is rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in God's work in humanity. And so... To try to summarize what we talked about last week, just really quickly, we've been studying uh, primarily the letter to the Ephesians and the Ephesian church, in part because Paul, the author to the letter, was very involved personally in the Ephesian church, but there was also a lot of really interesting church dynamics. And, of course, the letter to the Ephesians itself contains a really robust picture of church's family and the role of church leadership. And so to summarize what we talked about last week, we talked about, first of all, the the idea that the church was not just a family, but a missional family brought together, together by Christ's blood and then commissioned to continue his work. We talked about how the mission of this missional family, the church, involves every member of the church. We all, every one of us, you and I and Hillary, who's in the room with me recording, we all have a call to ministry, to mission, to the things of Jesus. 
Thirdly, because the church is a family, leadership structures must exist because healthy families have healthy leadership. So whether or not you come from a healthy family, I hope we can all agree that in a healthy family, there is some kind of organization and distribution of roles and responsibility. So it is with the church family. And finally, we talked about the goal of gospel leadership. In the context of church family, there's a fourfold goal to, 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 to leadership. First of all, it's to bring unity, unity of Lord, unity to the family of God, and unity in that family walking in mission. The second goal of leadership is to see children in the faith, spiritual children, grow towards spiritual maturity. This is Ephesians really 4, I believe verses 12 and 13, anchoring this idea so that children are not tossed by the waves. Number three, we talked about how the goal of leadership is to see those spiritual children not just move towards maturity, but released to reproduce their own spiritual children as well. And finally, we talked about the critical role of gospel leadership as being committed unashamedly to modeling and demonstrating the character and person of Jesus. Today, what I'd like to do is dive deeper into this to talk about specifically what is the nature or substance or how does gospel leadership work? Where does its authority come from and how does it exercise it? And what are the qualifications of gospel leadership? And what you're going to discover is that this, although it may sound a little bit heady and uh, I haven't really gone out of my way to make this super entertaining, but because I care more about getting our theology right, what we believe about Jesus right in this time. So uh, it may sound a little bit heady, but I want to invite you in to know that this is for you, wherever you are. Uh, I've written this, uh, we've been working on this for you. And so lean in with me. I know it might be a little bit more... um, dry than some other messages, but it's not dry, it's life-giving. And so let's see, we're gonna, we're gonna go together. All right, so what is the nature of gospel leadership? Well, in seeking to activate the church for mission and organize all of the, the parts of the body, all of the parts of the family into their proper place, Paul uses the metaphor of a family to orient us to the nature of gospel leadership. Now, in Ephesians 5, Paul brilliantly, he does this this really creative work where, to make his point, he likens the church to a a marriage in Ephesians 5. Now, you might be wondering, why on earth did I choose a passage about marriage to talk about leadership? Well, because in talking about marriage, Paul was actually using marriage as a metaphor to define and describe the church. We think it's a passage about marriage. In actual fact, it's a passage about marriage— being used to describe the church and help us understand how leadership works. So Ephesians 5.32, the mystery is profound in talking about marriage, but I am actually talking about Christ and the church. Paul is suggesting that the best way to understand the arrangement of the church is to actually look at family, to look at marriages, And so with that in mind, let's go back to the beginning of his argument in Ephesians 5.23. Where does a healthy family come from? Where does authority in a healthy family come from? How do families that are healthy make decisions? Well, Ephesians 5.23, Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Christ is the head of the church. I really want this 
to anchor in our first point here about the nature of leadership. All gospel leadership authority flows from Jesus. Authority doesn't come from any other source other than Jesus because Jesus is the head. Gospel leadership is always anchored in the person and character of Jesus. And this has a few really critical things for us. First of all, number one, it means that all gospel leadership finds its originating authority in Christ himself. Jesus is the ultimate head of the household of faith. That's borrowing a term, uh, a term from the letter to the Galatians, household of faith. Jesus is the ultimate head of our household, not me. Not the SLT, Jesus is the head of our household in Lyft Church. And all authority in the church belongs to Jesus, not ourselves. Jesus has given instructions to his family. He's given instructions to us to go and make disciples of all nations. The authority to make disciples doesn't come from me. Your authority to lead your simple church and reproduce disciples doesn't come from Lift Church. It comes from Jesus. Do you see why this is so important? Because it means that when we're structuring and thinking about our role in the context of church leadership, it's not about the organization of the church or the structure of the church or the way the church makes decisions. It's about working to see Jesus the head the ultimate authority empowering and working in every believer. Why do you and why do I have the authority to preach, lead, disciple, rebuke, discipline, correct, and exhort? Because Jesus has given it to us. Gospel leadership comes from a deeply rooted commitment to obedience to Jesus. And that's why obedience to Jesus overrules any other source of authority. It's all about Jesus. As we're going to see in a few weeks, gospel leadership does exercise a significant degree of authority and accountability, but it comes from Jesus. The kinds of leadership authority that gospel leaderships involve doesn't involve primarily our wisdom or our might or our experiences know the authority that we have as leaders in the church comes from Jesus. I'm not referring to myself, I'm referring to all leaders. Our authority to go into the world and preach the news about Jesus isn't from Lift Church. It's not from your experiences. No, your authority is given to you because Christ has commanded you to call people to obedience to him. Now, the human heart is really fascinating. Uh, many of us, if not all of us, have some layer of insecurity. And we can approach this like with a kind of a false humility that says, who am I to lead? Who am I to exercise any kind of authority? And the answer is, you are no one. I am no one. Your authority to lead in the context of your simple church and my authority to lead in the context of our church doesn't come from ourselves, our gifts, or our abilities. It comes from Jesus and honoring his command. 
Our confidence in discipleship has not come from our experiences. It comes from a degree to the degree to which we call people to be obedient to Jesus and his word. This is so foundational because authority and discipleship is not rooted in uh, the things of this world of experience and so forth. It's rooted in the word of God. This is why when you compromise scripture and you don't have a firm foundation to stand on scripturally, you have also compromised your foundation to stand on as a disciple maker. Because disciple making is not rooted in our experience, it's rooted in Jesus and his word and scripture. That's not to say that maturity and experiences are not useful and valuable, but they're not the source of our authority. Jesus' word is. So the question is not, who am I to lead? The question is, what has Jesus commanded and how do I be obedient to that? Now, on the flip side, so if the human heart is on one hand insecure, on the other hand, it's uh, really corrupt (laughs) and uh, really, really dangerous. Authority, like I'm talking about, is really, really dangerous. And without any effort at all, without even trying, we can take the authority that Christ has given us and we can manipulate it to gratify our own wants, desires, and instincts. So on one hand, we, out of our insecurity, we can say we can reject the authority that God has given us. But on the other hand, in which is probably also a kind of an insecurity, but in the, the corruptness of the human heart, we can take the authority that he has given us and we can Uh, twist it uh, and use it to deceive people and hurt people. And this leads to the second critical implication that leadership comes from Christ, which is that gospel leadership comes through sacrificial love. Traditional leadership models, especially organizational ones, tell you that experience earns you leadership positions. Experience and a track record. But Christ's authority, Jesus' own authority, did not come from years and years of experience. In fact, his public ministry was only three years long, and he was only in his early 30s. And by any measure, his public ministry was not especially successful in that at the end of it, everybody betrayed him. Age and experience may aid in effectiveness, but they do not qualify it. No, the defining characteristic of gospel leadership is leadership that is earned through sacrificial love. The household metaphor that that Paul has been building through Ephesians 4 and 5 is really vital here, and we've got to go back to Ephesians 5, verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love, And what kind of love do you walk in as a leader? What does it look like to exercise the kind of leadership that Paul's been empowering in Ephesians 4? Well, in Ephesians 5, he answers that in verse 2 by saying, As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. To lead like Jesus, we need to love like Jesus. To deny ourselves and lay down our lives to bless and serve others. Jesus, who did not even spare his own life. The implication that all leadership flows from Christ means that all leadership must be rooted in his sacrificial love and our participation in that act. 
This is so important. The gospel vision of leadership is not servant-hearted. We do ourselves, a, a, I think, a disservice here when we say, I'm into servant-hearted leadership. No, gospel leadership is truly sacrificial, preferential, and beneficial for others. There can be no room for self-glorification, platform building, or power dynamics in a healthy family. No, in a healthy family, the parents lay down their lives for their children totally, completely, and unreservedly. Sacrificial love is the basis of all Christian leadership, truly putting others ahead. I wrestle on whether or not to share these next thoughts, and I share them carefully. But I've been asked this a number of times, and maybe I can try to give some context. But sometimes I'm asked, why should anybody care what Laura and I have to say in the context of our church? Especially for those of you that are in regions that are far away and haven't met us. But even for those that are uh, closer. Well, partially because for the last 15 years, Laura and I have sacrificed virtually everything we have for loving our church. I am willing to be called out if people think that this is not true, but I really believe that we have sought to model this, that leadership flowing from sacrificial love. We have been the primary financial backers for years. When we took over in 2012, <laughs> the church had literally no money, and I think in that year, and for many, many years that followed as we led the church, we also funded the church. Thousands of meals, thousands of phone calls, missed vacations, missed trips, giving up family, lost friends, walking through like the pain of leading this thing. Why? Because we love this church. We've loved this church when we've attended as many funerals as we possibly can and even more weddings, thankfully. We do it because we love you. And I pray that every person in our church would lead because they love. And that no leader would ever demand respect from anyone. Church, I'm never going to ask for anyone's respect. I'm never going to say that you have to love a leader. I'm going to say that the leader has to love the people. And I am so thankful for that we have a church where, like, I know and I have walked with every one of our regional directors, and they love their regions. And they have sacrificed tremendously to lead them. The SLT has laid its, their lives down collectively for the benefit of our church. I know that our simple church leaders have laid their lives down for their simple churches. This idea of sacrificial love is the basis of all leadership. If we want to lead, then we need to get ready to lay our lives down. 
There is no privilege that comes from leadership. None. To be a leader is to lay your life down. The authority to lead is directly connected to your willingness to lay your lives down for those that you lead. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9 to the Corinthian church, he says, If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we have even more? Paul is saying that they have the right to receive benefit from the church. But he says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. The basis of Christian gospel leadership is love. The sacrificial love that Jesus has called us to. Now, to be clear, I don't claim to embody that perfectly. I'm not Jesus. But that is the commitment that we must continue to remind ourselves of. And when we fall short, repent and say, I have messed up, to be the first to apologize, the first to lay our lives down. Can we start to see that gospel leadership is different in nature? It's different than other leadership. Leadership authority flows from Christ and the character of leadership is sacrificial. But in another layer, it's also about raising children, not climbing ladders. It's about raising children. This is the whole premise of Ephesians 4, 12, 13 and onwards, where he talks about don't be like children tossed by the waves, but instead the leadership of the church's responsibility is to anchor those children. When we think about church like an organization, we see it as an organizational ladder to climb so that as you climb up the the ladder of leadership, you could have more influence and so forth. But simply put, in the church world, there is no ladder to climb. In a family, you cannot climb the hierarchy to the top. I think I said this last week, if you try, it will not work out very well for you. No, in a family, leadership is earned by growing into maturity and raising healthy children. Whether they're your, your, your literal own biological children or participating in the, the, the household as somebody's shepherding and, and raising those children. The church world has historically allowed a two-tier system to exist where there are those that are called to leadership or ministry and then there are those who are just regular believers. This two-tier system, the, the special and the, the ordinary, the called and the not quite as called. Let me say this plainly. The notion of a special calling to ministry that like qualifies someone for this kind of professional role is perhaps one of the most unbiblical, destructive ideas that the church has allowed into its ranks. You see, in this organizational paradigm of leadership, Many believers have been unfortunately placed in a position where they feel like their primary duty is simply to attend, fill hours, or give a token financial offering. This two-tier system of leadership where there's the specially called and the ordinary believer 
is damaging because it means that we can start to say like everybody else is the other we can or the leader we can other the leader we can see ourselves as merely a bum in the seat and look at the quote leadership the special ones those on a platform those that lead and put them in a different box instead of realizing that we're one family with one category person If you are a Christian, you have a call to Christian leadership. Why is that? Well, because gospel leadership is about raising spiritual children and disciple-making, not climbing an organizational ladder. Paul's influence in the church was validated through his sacrifice and his his influence came. Why did he have influence in the Ephesians church? It wasn't because the Ephesian church hired, uh, they were looking for an apostle and they put a job posting out and hired the apostle Paul. No, the, Paul had authority in the Ephesians church because he discipled the leadership of the Ephesians church and he invested in them. He writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, to Timothy, my true son, my son in the faith. Why did Paul have leadership in the Ephesian church? Because they were his children. And Timothy was his leader. Gospel leadership is about raising healthy children, not climbing upwards. What does this mean? Well, really practically, if gospel leadership is about raising healthy children, not climbing ladders, it has a number of significant implications for us. First of all, number one, it means that commitment to the family is the essential requirement for leadership. In order to raise healthy spiritual children, we need to be committed in and invested in those children. We cannot be fruitful in discipleship without being deeply invested in our particular local church that is positioning us for influence to make disciples. Commitment to the kids is the first step to raising healthy kids. You can't raise healthy children if you don't commit to raising those healthy children. But the idea of committing to a family runs against everything that craves individual autonomy. Raising children will mess your life up. I could tell you firsthand, I've got two of them. They are wonderful and beautiful and they mess your life up. Raising disciples, healthy disciples, will also mess your life up. Why would we ever think about spiritual children? Why would we commit to others? Well, can we remember what it means to be a Christian? To be a Christian and to be a Christian leader is to lay down our lives, to love others, to choose to prefer the other place their needs, wants, and desires above our own? How can we love those to whom we are not committed? How can we create space for others to join the family and mature into Christ if we're not committed to the family ourselves? How can we invite people to experience the joy of family if we haven't said, I'm I'm willing to create that for others? How can we work out Ephesians 4.16 that says, For him, for Jesus, the whole body is fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament that promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. How can we each fulfill our individual parts if we're not willing to be a part of the whole? 
You see, in an organizational model of church where we are not responsible for spiritual children, we can just transfer that membership around. We can just church hop. We can just go from place to place to place, and it doesn't cost anything. But when you have taken responsibility for spiritual children, all of a sudden, when we start jumping from place to place, there's the cost of broken family everywhere we go. This is why like the notion of looking for a church and church shopping are so kind of counterintuitive to the the mode of how Jesus intended his church to be. He intended you to walk in disciple-making activity. He intended me to walk in disciple-making activity. And that means that we walk with people for the long term, for the duration of the journey. We don't just tear the family apart. Church as family is not just about creating security for us. It's about creating security for our spiritual children. The invitation to root, the invitation to commit to family, this is why we teach this so significantly. Because in order for you to walk out the call to make disciples, you have to be rooted into a place where that can happen. So you can actually walk in your spiritual leadership. This has been one of the greatest challenges of our church. We have a highly transient church, and we always will. People in and out and moving around all the time. And we're really calling people, especially with ideas like the missionary appointment with the different leadership um, pathways that we've created, to create a, a context so that people can put deep roots down and create family for somebody else. I know that many of you... Uh, have expressed, well, I don't feel, when, I, when you talk about church as family, I don't feel like they, you're talking to me. I don't know that that's my experience. And to those of you, I, I hear you, I understand, I get it. But when you commit, when you're saying, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play my part so that other people can play theirs. You are giving somebody the blessing that you may not yet have received yourself. If the first implication that gospel leadership of, is about raising children, not climbing ladders, is that commitment is essential, the second one is that no one is an island. No one is an island. Everyone is called to lead and serve the people around them. There are no islands in the church world. Everyone must be empowered. And since our church family is large, we're distributed, the purpose of our structures, yes, we have structure, But the purpose of our structures is to make sure that no one is an island, that no one can just sit and consume, that everybody has a pathway towards contributing to the raising of healthy children. Number three, if it's about raising children, not climbing ladders, the job is maturity in Christ, not tasks or legalism. Your job as a gospel leader is not to get people to do a task or to call them to some kind of strict legalism, but to lead them to Jesus. He is the head of our our family. It's never about us. It's always about him, which means by proxy that, of course, we need to be as leaders pursuing Jesus. Number four implication of it's about raising children, not climbing ladders, is that spiritual leadership is not a destination. 
It's not a destination to be achieved or a job to be transferred. Christian leadership is not a job that you can work for. In the church world, we've tended to look for leadership by going and hiring outside, or, and I just, it doesn't make any sense to me anymore. If we're looking for leadership in the church, we have to look for the people that have been willing to say, I'm going to lead these people. I'm going to love these people. I'm going to demonstrate that I love these people. The qualification for Christian leadership is not special training, although training is important. It's not a degree, though school's not bad. No, the qualification for Christian leadership is a commitment to love the people that God has put in our life. I was blessed to be discipled by an incredible woman of God as a teenager. And she has a legacy of raising, like, disciple-making disciples of disciple-makers. Like, she's just amazing. And what, what qualified her to do that? Why was she so influential? She had no formal training. I believe she was a teacher by, by trade, technically. Uh, she was, uh, this was in my, in my youth group or whatever. She was way too old to be a youth leader. And she was the least cool person you've ever met. But she loved Jesus. And she taught me to love Jesus. Why did I trust her? Because I knew she wasn't there for her job. She was there because she loved us and gave her life up for us. And in my years of being discipled by her, I learned more about sacrificial leadership than I could ever have learned, I think, in any other way. The future of church planning in the context of Lift Church is you, wherever you are. You guys are going to be the ones that we're going to raise and send. That's why we place so much emphasis on, on leaning into simple church because as you lean into simple churches, you're gaining the practical skills and experience to be able to lead larger numbers of people, but it's still rooted in, in just learning to love where you are and learning to hear God's heart for the people that God has placed into your life. You see the nature of gospel leadership. It's just so much more beautiful and so much different than we thought. What then is the qualification? Don't worry, this won't be as long. I'll get through it a little bit quicker, despite the fact that it's a lot of pages in front of me. Well, what qualifies someone for gospel leadership? Well, everyone is invited to birth spiritual children, to raise and send disciples. The whole point of gospel leadership is not to hoard leadership, but to give it away. Let me say that again. The point of gospel leadership isn't to hoard it, but to give it away. But when we're seeking to give leadership away, how do we know what qualifies someone for that leadership? How much influence should they have? And it's really important that we're cautious to discern the who, the when, the how of empowering gospel leadership and how it will affect the church family. In the interest of time, I'm going to get these through you really quickly. Number one qualification is the qualification to assume responsibility. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, lots of people like quoting, maybe some messed up leaders love quoting that to say, Obey me and listen to me, but listen to the next verse. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, 
for that would be of no advantage to you. Gospel leaders will give an account for their children. Their job is to love and nurture their children. As a result of stepping into that responsibility, they will stand before God Almighty and give an account of their leadership. Leadership is not to be trifled with. This is why this is so important. We must be willing to walk in the life of our disciples, to call them to Jesus. We must be willing to get into the trenches with them because we, as a leader, have assumed accountability for them. In the Christian world, we are too often accustomed to listening to inspirational speakers, looking for the next high-impact, powerful message or inspirational talk. Christian leadership is not about giving powerful talk or inspirational messages. In fact, the public platform is a really dangerous tool. No, Christian leadership is about taking responsibility for spiritual children. Christ calls his disciples to pick up their cross and follow him. Christ calls us to submit to him because he first laid down his life for us. So gospel leadership invites others to follow Jesus sacrificially because as leaders, we have sacrificially given our lives for them and taken responsibility for them. Gospel leadership is present in the call and walking through the trials that may come. To step into gospel leadership is to accept responsibility for those that we are leading. This is the foundation of submission to leadership. The only reason that leaders can ask people to submit to them is because they have first submitted to those that they're leading. Do you see that? Do you see how powerful this is? The only reason that a leader can invite anyone to say, trust me or submit to me is because that leader has first submitted to and served the one that they are leading. This is really important because it means that your voice in the church family is connected to your degree of responsibility that you've assumed for the family. A guest in a house does not have voice in the affairs of the house because they're a guest. But the ones who are contributing to the running of the house, who have assumed responsibility for the outcomes of the house, get to have a voice in the affairs of the house. This is why, as gospel leaders, we cannot critique from the sidelines. We cannot make a problem somebody else's problem. Our voice and our taking responsibility are directly connected. The second qualification here is love. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love. This is perhaps the most important qualification for gospel leadership. Paul drives home that the fact that we are loved and our ability to lead others to Jesus are intrinsically connected. To be a leader, you must first know that you are loved by Jesus. In order to walk in love, we must first know that we are loved. 
When we try to lead from a place of insecurity in our status with the Father, we will very quickly begin to devolve into organizational modes of leadership where we seek to secure ourselves in places of power and authority. Or because we're seeking affirmation, we will burn out because we, instead of leading effectively, we will begin to crave praise and affirmation. This is why stages are so damaging to leaders. Stages confuse our sense of security, our source of security. A leader can trade their dearly loved status, the fact that they are dearly loved by Jesus, to instead crave the celebrity of the stage. Only when our security is in Christ and the fact that we are impossibly loved by him can we lead with confidence. And it is this fact that we are loved that gives us the confidence to love sacrificially. When we are anchored in Christ's love, we can love through the trials, the tribulations, the disappointments, the insecurities, the frustrations, pain, and grief that come from leadership. Why? Because to lead is to love like Christ. And in order to love like Christ, we need to know that we are loved by Christ. Perhaps in everything that I've been saying today, you've been saying, you know what, I'll never be a leader. I'll never be a leader. And to the person that says, you know what, I don't know that this message series is for me, I want to tell you something. Jesus unabashedly, passionately loves you. And when you know that, and when that truth really grabs hold of your heart, you will not be able to help but lead. Allow that truth to grab, to grab hold of you for a moment that Jesus loves you. That love is contagious. Third criteria for gospel leadership is evidenced fruitfulness. To a person, every leader that I, when I'm looking for outside voices of who do I call, I always start with, where's their, where's their fruit? Do they have a track record of raising and deploying spiritual children? Not have they built a great organization, but do they have spiritual children? I've learned that those without spiritual fruit are usually the first to judge and those that have the least grace. And those with lots of fruit usually have lots of grace and are not quick to judge. And finally, the qualification for leadership, which is maybe the one that everybody thinks, which is character. We'll get more to this issue of character in the coming weeks. I just highlighted as a necessary qualification. That character is critical. But I want to answer a question just to close out our time. Why would anybody lead? Why would anybody lead? What I've described here is almost an impossible kind of leadership, isn't it? kind of like, oh my gosh, this is like really intense and really hard and I don't know if I can do it. Why, why would I step into that kind of sacrificial leadership? Well, simply put, it's because it's never about us. It's because we love other people. 
Gospel leadership doesn't come from a, well, that seems like a good idea. I'm going to do that now. No, gospel leadership comes from a Holy Spirit-led love of other people and a willingness to go and serve them. I want to read the Apostle Paul's words to close out. First Timothy, listen to how Paul explains why he does what he does. And I pray that this is why we would lead in whatever role or capacity we lead in in this church. First Timothy 2, or sorry, 1, 12 to 17. Paul writes, I give thanks to Christ Jesus, my Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Even though I was a blasphemer, a persecutor and an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those that would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, and the only God, to honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul encountered Jesus and his grace. And when Paul encountered Jesus and his grace, he couldn't help but say, Jesus, I'm available so that others can encounter that grace. Here is my life. That church is gospel leadership. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time together. In your word, studying what it means to lead. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love like you love. To love and lead truly sacrificially. That our qualification would come from that commitment to love like you love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. All right, church, we're going to have a response question up on the screen, give you a chance to discuss it. But we'll be at Town Hall in about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. Stay tuned in Livecast, Webcast, chat, and we'll get uh, everything ready to go. We'll see you in just a few minutes. Thank you, guys.